Before we get to the episode, we want you, dear listener, to ask yourself a question. What have you done these past two years? You know, the pandemic hit us all really hard. What have you really done other than perfect that matzo ball soup recipe of yours? Nothing. Now, we all want to add purpose and meaning to our life, and we just, we have the way to really, really make your dreams come true. If you're listening, you're likely interested in Israel with hopes of traveling here soon. Well, lucky for you, we've got the scoop on Masai Israel journey. With an amazing range of life-changing opportunities in Israel, Masai has many, many programs. They've got gap year programs, academics, internships, volunteering, and careers. The pandemic didn't stop them either, promoting options to study remotely while living in Israel. You don't have to be fluent in Hebrew or break your bank account. They even supply partial funding so you can make a positive impact on the world. You can fuel your passion and you can make your travel dreams a reality. Go to MasaIsrael.org and find out more. This is Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. In collaboration with Australian Jewish News, check them out at ajn.timesofisrael.com. Also in collaboration with Arutz Sheva, israelnationalnews.com. Marriage and relationships have never been easy. Since the day Abraham told his beloved wife Sarah he wants to have an open relationship, millions of couples have had to navigate the stormy waters of intimacy. And although throughout history maintaining a relationship was never easy, doing so in the 21st century brings along its own unique set of challenges. In the age of internet with its metaverse, high-tech, TikTok, and Twitch, we're constantly facing temptations, jealousy, and FOMO. Maybe our parents were better off after all? To talk about all this and much, much more, we're joined today by a very honorable guest, Professor Daniel Knafo. Professor Knafo is a psychologist, psychoanalyst, and author. She's considered one of the top sexuality theoreticians in the world. Daniel Knafo is a professor in the Clinical Psychology Doctoral Program at LIU Post and on the faculty at New York NYU Postdoctoral Program. She has published in lectures lectured extensively on the subjects of creativity, psychoanalysis, gender, sexuality, and technology. She maintains a private practice in Manhattan and Great Neck, New York. I'm super happy to have Professor Knafo on our show today. Hello. Hello. So if people want to go to the clinic, they can reach out and... They can. Okay. <laughs> so we'll put links, guys. Um, we have listeners in New York. So where they can find my books on Amazon. Oh, uh, yeah. We'll also put links to that. Um, so where do we start from? I guess let's start with something easy. I was thinking maybe necrophilia or <laughs> something. Uh, easy. Yeah, let's start. Let's start with from an easy theme and then we'll okay. go to the hardcore stuff. So uh, ne- necrophilia pros and cons. <laughs> pros. Uh, pros. Uh, you have uh, a body. Uh, that doesn't resist, that isn't choosy. Uh, Cons, 
it's uh, illegal not everywhere oh no no no. Where is it legal? You'd be uh, you'd be surprised how uh, how few places it actually is illegal. Um, also in the states. Yes, there are many states. Even zoophilia is there are is many legal states in, in which it's it's legal. That really, they've never come around to making a law against it. Uh huh. Yeah. It's, I'm not asking it randomly. I, I, you wrote about. I, yes, I wrote about it. How come? How come? Well, um, I had a I had a client who um, who seduced uh, his sister when she was asleep, and the Bill Cosby episode of drugging women, and then in order to have sex with them while they were out, uh, not seduced, sedated, seduced her, his sister. My my no, patient. You said he seduced his sister when she was asleep. Yes, not seduced. Right. Sedu- did I use the yeah. word seduced? Seduced yeah. is the wrong word. He uh, abused. Abused. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was making it lighter. Um, so I was working with him around that issue. At the same time, there was the Bill Cosby scandal mm-hmm. that where he um, uh, sedated. Uh, many many women um, with drugs and had sex with them when they were unconscious Mm -hmm. so and then I saw the Pedro Almodovar movie uh, talk to her about these two men who fall in love with comatose women and one even impregnates one of them and so there were all of these uh, things and then finally um, I also had a client who uh, was in love with a doll and lived with a doll in a relationship, mm-hmm. which in some ways has some commonalities with necrophilia. It's not exactly the same, but it is uh, the, the, the desire on the part of mostly men here we're talking about. That's sexist, but okay, I'll give it's you a not I'm, sexist. I'm, just jo- I'm just joking. It's statistics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not I'm, sexist. I'm just... Joking around. Um, okay. Uh, it's mostly men who um, who are attracted to having uh, sexual relations, and not just sexual relations, also intimate relations, where they fantasize and project onto these um, dead bodies, so to speak, whether it's an actual human body or a, or a doll, a uh, sex doll, human hom- humanoid body. Um, and there are all kinds of uh, speculations as to why that would be attractive to somebody. Um, and one of the main reasons is that... You low know, maintenance. It's low maintenance. The, it's a silent partner. It's a partner you can have whenever you want. There's no rejection. There's no humiliation. There's no... All of the things that... that uh, a, a, man who has to perform would be anxious about uh, with a woman. There's no negotiation. There's no considering someone else's needs or desires, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it can go from uh, a very mild, you know, objectification of the woman all the way to necrophilia, where only a dead woman uh, is is a a good woman. How... how Okay, so let's dive into this patient who had a relationship with a doll. 
Yes. How how does that work? Uh, how does it work? The day to day. Well, I have interviewed about 15 of these men who uh, live with dolls. And and these are high-end sex dolls. Mm -hmm. They're very expensive. They're about $10,000. And um, they're very um, uh, human-like. Um, and uh, but the, the, the men that I was interested in, including my, my client who got me interested in the whole subject, was uh, these men who actually develop relationships with the dolls. They don't just use the dolls for sex. They develop intimate relationships and they imagine that the relationship is mutual. That's what I found so interesting mm -hmm. when I interviewed them. They know on one level that this is a doll, it's a thing, it's an object. And on another level, when they talk about it, the doll, it's they're, her. It's her. She has a name. She has a personality. She has an occupation. She has feelings. She has, uh, they have a relationship. So it, it, there's this line that they uh, walk uh -huh. between reality and fantasy. And they take her to places? Um, very few do that. Mm -hmm. Many of them keep it secret. Yeah. But there are there are a few who uh, take take the doll out. The dolls are heavy. They're dead weight dead weight and so they put them in a wheelchair and wheel them around um, but most of the men keep them secret and what was the per like when a patient comes to you with such an issue is it is it an issue i don't know in nowadays well if a patient comes with that um that means they're bothered by it mm -hmm. i've interviewed other men who wouldn't go to therapy because they're happy with the way things are right um and so I, i one of one of the men who uh who i got to know quite well said his dolls are his therapy and what happens with with these men sometimes they get one doll and then another one and another one and another one um but can you through therapy change someone's sexuality <laughs> it's not conversion therapy <laughs> you know if i take it to the extreme I, i because here conversion therapies are i mean i guess 30 years ago or 50 years ago yeah, it wouldn't even it would 10 be, years ago. even 10 years ago it would be the same today we the, the lines change the norms yeah. change yeah no i never change somebody who doesn't want to be changed i never therapy for me is not forceful Right. People come to me because they have an issue, because they're bothered by something, because they're stuck in some way, and um, they want help. So this one client who came to me who was living with a doll, in the beginning he was happy with his doll, but not 100%. He started feeling uncomfortable around people. He knew he had a secret. He didn't, you know, it started bothering him that he right. lived with a doll. And so we began talking about it. I didn't, I don't go in and, you know, I'm going to change you. Right. It has to come from the person. But a lot of times it comes from the person after we analyze what is the function of the doll, the disappointments this patient had with women in the past and not wanting to get hurt again, but still wanting that female companionship. And through the relation, the therapeutic relationship with me, mm -hmm. he actually developed uh, a trusting 
again in a human woman and then could take that trust outwards. And so he got to a point where he wanted to give up his doll and try again with in the human world but what you do it's just interesting if you face a, a situation and this could happen and there is in your recent article such a, s a situation a bit similar where a gay uh, muslim enters your office in this case maybe he didn't want to change that but what do you do as a therapist when a gay muslim or ultra orthodox comes to your office and tells you as like the guy who's fallen in love with dolls and it bothers him he comes to you and he says it bothers me that i'm gay i don't want to be gay what do you do it's it's a moral issue i guess it's it's a very complex issue um i work with the person where they are i always meet the person where they are mm -hmm. if they're conflicted we talk about their conflicts so the the muslim man who came to me and um uh didn't i don't know if he didn't want to be gay or he just felt so conflicted with his environment that wouldn't accept his being gay so he knew you know in the beginning he was conflicted with his own desires but a lot of that conflict came from the environment he was living in that told him very in no uncertain terms including his family you cannot be gay yeah. you cannot be who you are basically they were telling him and so we had to deal with that how he felt how he felt getting to know what his desires were what his feelings were and how much that that was coming from his environment and how to handle that within the environment he lived and what what sacrifices that might entail yeah so i always follow i follow i don't lead I don't advise, I don't change. I follow a person, but I help them understand. I enlarge their understanding so that they can make the choices that they uh, want to make um, as a result of an enlarged awareness right. of how they got to where they are. So how does uh, the modern age, internet, porn industry, um conversations how does that affect what you face with in your therapies when people come to you it it affects it enormously enormously i mean i've been i've been in this business for 40 years mm -hmm. so you have a perspective i have a perspective and i have a perspective over time the last years which is what led me to start writing about the influence of technology uh, on intimacy, on sexuality, on how we relate to ourselves, on our own self-identities, um, is because all of the changes I've been seeing in my, uh, in my students, in my, uh, in my patients uh, who I work with, and, and people, people who I know, it's influenced people enormously. Um, I don't even know where to begin. Try to try to focus me a little. Mm, so so let's talk about porn porn addiction. Pornography. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's huge. You say in your article, I think that eighty percent of the bandwidth of, of internet, <laughs> right? Something crazy porn. like that is porn, porn keeps the internet alive. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. It's really amazing. Um, you know, just Pornhub, which I think is the largest uh, pornography site on the internet um, gets a billion users a day. By the way, have you heard about uh, a few months ago what happened with Pornhub? What? They, uh, 
<laughs> they uh, were practically shut down by the credit card companies that told them either you take down like 90% of your videos yeah. or we shut you off. So they had to take down almost all of the, and there was a huge... Uh, because what? They found that the, vid which kind of videos yeah, were they? Yeah, there were like abusive to, to uh -huh. I don't know, well, like pedophiles and, and like rapes and stuff like uh -huh. that. So not unlike what recently happened also, I think with OnlyFans, they also had they such an issue. They shut it down, issue. but they opened it up. Right. Yeah. But, but yeah, so credit card companies or service companies, server companies have been giving problems to those they give problems but then these these uh but then you have other websites these things uh keep them going too yeah so it's always uh uh it's a certain hypocrisy yeah. also like instagram who, that that allowed the only fans and makes money from the only fans and then says oh no we don't do this we yeah. don't do sex they did sex, they would, and then as soon as they shut it down and there was a lot of objection, they opened it up again. If our listeners don't know what OnlyFans is, it's a website where you can basically, it's like Instagram, only you charge, uh, you, you have subscribers who pay you and you can post any kind of photo, including nudity content. So many people, specifically women, made a lot of money. Sex workers, the, yeah. it's moved sex work, um, online mm -hmm. and um, changed the face of sex work um, by giving the women, uh, mostly women, uh, a lot Ownership. of power that now um, they don't have to pay a pimp, they don't have to, uh, they, nobody touch, they don't have to be touched, they're not in danger. Um, and so, uh, and, and some of them make a lot, a lot yeah. of money. Yeah. So it really disrupted the world of porn, porn in a and sense. And porn. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. So that's another way that things are changing. Yeah. Back to porn addiction though. Um, I'm seeing more and more of that in my pra private practice, mm -hmm. and a lot of my colleagues are as well. Um, not only in individual um, uh, patients, mostly male, uh, but it's beginning to grow with female. About 30% of uh, porn users are, are female. Mm -hmm. So but still, it's the majority male, but females are, are beginning to use it more and more also. Um, but also in couples, with couples, that you see porn addiction or use porn usage becomes uh, uh, a problem in in a couple. Mm -hmm. uh, because one... Well, one, I have two patients right now where the, the males are addicted uh, to porn and they haven't had sex with their partner in, boring in decades. In decades decades they're good friends they have a good relationship mm -hmm. but their sexuality is elsewhere mm -hmm. and uh because porn pushes your your desires to the edge essentially is what you write just about to also. the edge it can but it's addictive mm -hmm. it's addictive it's an addiction just like uh, a drug addiction mm -hmm. and uh, people become addicted to it and and need it again and again and again and more and more and and so one it's an addiction two it creates certain um unrealistic 
um, uh, ways of gratifying oneself that then it becomes difficult to transition back to human to human sex mm -hmm. with the same person internet uh, porn you can have a different partner every time you go on the internet yeah whereas you know if you have a partner in real life you have to keep that exciting with that one person and so people get get drawn to that and mm -hmm. it and it it can really affect um, the the relationships that people and it affects another field you're you're talking about, which is perversions. It affects also that, right? Because you see, you maybe you're an innocent teenager. Yeah. You do, you never heard about all those things that can be done, and then you get exposed to that, and yes. then maybe you develop those things that. But I I don't know. I guess. Even perversions, it's it's always even if you discover them in a porno when you were fifteen or twenty or whatever, it's or still nine. it's or nine nine uh, to eleven or nine is months. When most, no, nine <laughs> to eleven is when most uh, right. uh, most kids are exposed. But it still to correlates. A perversion still correlates to something deeply enrooted in you, though, right? Or is it? Um, well, Freud would say yes, uh, that, and many people would say yes, that we all have a universe, there's a universality to perversion. Freud called, you know, the infant stage uh, polymorphous perverse. In other words, when you see an infant, they get turned on by everything and everyone. They don't say, oh, you're a male, I'm only turned on by female. You're old, I'm only turned on by young. You're an animal, like everything excites them. Uh, that's the polymorphous perversity. They're not picky, they're not, you know, they're into diversity and, and uh, pleasure from wherever it may, may come. But it's only with socialization that, that children are taught don't do this, uh, don't go there, you know, take that to your room. And, and people's sexuality then becomes much more constricted and much more narrow, actually, and also secretive because don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. Well, what if I want to? Then I have to do it over here or in my mind, in fantasy or online, mm -hmm. right? So it becomes, sexuality becomes compartmentalized very easily because it's not mirrored in the same way that other behaviors are with children. But perversions, it's hard to define them because... Very hard. Because some things that once were perversions today yes. are norms yeah for changes I, I, our idea of i can tell you changes. from personal experience that the it's i don't think people realize the amount of i can t testify on women women who want you to hit them yes. to choke them to that tie seems them. to be very popular today yes it's and almost i don't in yeah. my day that was not right that was not a thing right so what's that all about um yeah well that's a good question um a lot of people attribute it to 50 shades of gray and the popularity of that right. that series um made it kind of normative um but it's it's really interesting what what is perversion because perversion is is often what we call you know abnormal se sexuality perversion isn't just sex though perversion is anything that's outside of the box or that 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 uh breaks boundaries right um 
but clinically, when we're talking about perversion, we're also talking about people who need to do things a certain way, or there's usually a, 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 a type of dehumanization involved. Mm -hmm. It's a move away from the human to human to more objectification, dehumanization. It's also similar to addiction, addictive behaviors. Mm -hmm. People like, like internet porn, they get addicted to a certain type of behavior and they, it has to be a certain way. There's no fluidity. Usually when we're talking about pathology or normality in, in mental health, we're talking about, um, pathology usually has to do with being stuck in some way and not being able to change. I can't change. That's when people come to therapy. Mm -hmm. when, when, something, when they're stuck, they're at an impasse, they can't seem to change and to adapt. And so the same thing goes with sexuality. And, right? and why, why did you start to study perversions? Because of cases that came to your yes. clinic? Yes, um, yes because of cases like in my my uh, previous book on the age of perversion i started seeing that that there was an increase in um this kind of objectification and dehumanization i think the internet facilitates that somewhat people are are relating to other people more through their devices than face to face um, and there's this distancing that, that gets created. People are more comfortable with the object, the objects, the devices, the, the distance that that creates mm -hmm. the, the as if quality, um, we can create ourselves online in a way that we can't, I'm looking at, I'm looking at his computer as I talk. So every yeah. time I look, um, uh, people create a certain facade, a certain profile, a certain, uh, you can make up things right. online that you, you, it's much harder in person when you're with somebody in person who can really get to know you up Just close. that what, shallows our existence, basically? It makes it more shallow. Um, I think so, probably, uh, in certain ways, yes. It's less nuanced. And it's less um, genuine in a certain yeah. way. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about it because now uh, Seinfeld is on Netflix. Uh huh. Great show. Uh, great show. And you know, watching it, I watched it as a kid, but rewatching it now, it makes you really think and and maybe yearn uh, to the old days because it's uh, first of all almost eighty percent of the plot lines would have been solved if there was a cell phone mm -hmm. in the show. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a, it's a show about relationships and about dating in New York, yes. yeah. and they change a partner every episode. But but the way, for example, when when they say, yeah, I, I instead of Tinder in one of the recent episodes I saw, George says, yeah, I called her and we talked for two hours on the phone yeah. uh, before first before the date before the date, yeah. And I'm like, this never happens. Who does this? Who does that? <laughs> right. Or the way they approach women. Because there is no Tinder, it's more legitimate to approach a woman or a man uh, in the street, in a coffee shop, in everywhere, everywhere they see a woman, they approach her because it, that's, the only, the, that's the only way. Or they ask their friends to, to do a shidduch, as they say. Yeah. And it makes you think about... Uh, 
as I said in the, in the intro, were, were our parents or your generation better off, you think, than, than us? Um, well, in certain ways, but probably the answer is yes and no, right? right? But I think in certain ways we were better off because we... Uh, I'm a big... I'm, I'm very big on, on human-to-human relationships and the more whatever makes us human. And I do, I'm, I'm very into technology. I'm, I'm dependent on my technology today. I thought I lost my cell phone for a minute and I went crazy. <laughs> uh, and it made me realize, you know, again and again, You're how, addicted too. how dependent I am. And if I lost it, it's like my world is in there. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I try to keep relationships as real and, 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 and not just there's a convenience there's an ease uh of just texting or or you know but but there's also a distance there's an opportunity to misread people you don't get the tone of voice you don't get to see the person's eyes i see young teens sitting next to each other texting texting each other they're sitting next to each other. Yeah. They won't turn and talk to each other. They are text. They prefer to text each other. They're so used to communicating in yeah. that way. So we've lost something. I think we've lost what Sherry Turkle says. We've lost empathy um, because because of this this overuse of technology right. in our ways of relating. It makes dating very hard it for makes our generation. Dating, I think it makes sexuality hard. I think it makes a lot of a lot of uh, relational. It's affected our relationship uh, patterns and and facility and intimacy uh, pretty greatly. And we have to put we know today there's studies that show that if there's a phone in a bedroom with a couple, they're less likely to have sex. Than if the, the mere existence of a the phone. Mere, they're not on the phone. Just it's sitting there. The knowledge is there. Yeah. It's like another. That's because the Chinese might be watching. <laughs> unless the, you like being watched. Or but, the Israelis. Yeah, or the Israelis. <laughs> but, um, That's crazy. So just the presence of this object affects us so much and affects how we relate to another and how, how reluctant people are to put it away to put it in another room and so, say, now I'm with you. Now, now it's right. just us. Yeah, when, oh, you know, when I put away the phone on a Shabbat dinner, mm -hmm. it's, it's like an itch you can scratch. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's hard. It's hard and it's painful and, 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 and it's sad. It's really sad. And I'm thinking to myself, what the hell am I doing? As I'm on the phone and, and, the, and, and sometimes I envy the religious. Yes. Right? For, for, for them, that's maybe they, they, they are free. Break. Yeah. I, I asked her just last week. I asked, that's how they make so I many children. They get the my, passion. Uh, yeah. What else do you do on Shabbat? I asked some of my ultra-Orthodox students what, how they deal with the, the phone. And they say it's a certain relief. But as the Shabbat is ending, they're starting to right. feel the itch and waiting. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> countdown. Um, so you see that. It's it's. It's fascinating. So how do you see dating in my generation? Because to me, it's so hard to date. You would, you would probably <laughs> tell me more. Talk about it and uh, I'll tell it's you. It's just, uh, okay, first of all, the dating apps, there are so many of them. Uh, they are themselves are addictive. Yeah. And they, they manipulate. Yeah. They use 
the same way like they use the same thing the same algorithms that instagram is using or facebook or twitter is using you know they have people they're only purpose they get paid to make it more addictive mm -hmm. right to mm -hmm. use all kinds of to push all our buttons though mm -hmm. they are i guess uh, they have uh, background in psychology and uh, mostly in, uh, technology technology and they know like for example for example on twitter uh, there's the they just changed it that they could have refreshed your feed automatically right but instead in order to see the new tweets you gotta scroll up mm. and there's this animation and then there's and it gives you it like triggers your brain something very primal in your brain so the same thing with the dating apps they're extremely addictive uh you can easily find yourself spending money and they're making a lot of money which is also frightening because it looks like very minor sums but it, you find yourself and you you look in a yearly term and you find yourself oh my god i could have mm -hmm. bought i don't know an electric and how guitar much time you and the time on it and then the, and the quality of the dates are are mediocre because the i can say from a boy's point of view from a girl's point of view i guess you'll hear other things or the same things but from men's point of view in tel aviv specifically yeah. because yeah. this is another interesting thing that in europe it's completely different uh every place is a bit different mm -hmm. but here in tel aviv i feel like the girls are all in fomo right it's very hard to find someone just to, who who is willing to go out with you to more than a date or two mm. so the the main problem with the apps for me is the fomo they're creating and their addictiveness what, is it, what do you mean the fear of missing out yeah because like there's they always don't wanna, there's always someone yeah, else you have there's like 10 matches and I'll go out with you, but then this one just contacted right. me. But then this one, does, and you don't want to, what if this one's better? And what right. if that one's... So it's it, very hard to commit. Yeah, yeah. So how... how and then people just, the, the serial dating yes. becomes, uh, I've known several who just get so caught up in this. Yeah. Three different, three different people a week, and right. then the next week, and then the next week, and it's exhausting, yeah. and they don't give anyone enough... And I tell them, you know, just slow down, stay with one, give one a chance. Yeah. You know, just... In Hebrew, there's a verb, it's called le makbel, which is parallelizing, I uh -huh. guess. Parallelizing. Parallelizing, yeah. When you go to more than a date with yeah. several women in the same time without them knowing about each other, or a woman can do it to, with several men. Yeah. And I've only because you don't know what to choose. So you say, okay, I'll date the three of them or the two of them simultaneously. They won't know about each other for a month, two months, three months, and then I'll decide. Yeah, yeah. You push the decision down the road. So how do you see all that? What's, what is there hope for our generation? Well, the other side of it, the positive side of it is that you get a much larger pool from which to choose. So. Uh, you know, in my day, you met people either at work or at school. Yeah. Period. Yeah. <laughs> right. And um, and so it was a smaller pool of people that you you could meet. Whereas uh, with the internet, it really allows you to meet people that you might not have come across. And so there's that the opportunities 
are are right. many more. But I agree with you that that you have to do it judiciously, in a way. If you really, if you're serious about finding a partner and not just dating forever, mm-hmm. but really finding a partner, a life partner, then you have to. You can't just keep jumping from one to the next to the next to the next. You have to give one, give one a a chance date them for a while see if they're good whatever and and stop looking at the you know you have to like putting the phone away put the the dating app away close it while you're dating somebody and and check it out give it a chance yeah but what happens is that temptation oh wait a minute there's this guy and and you know scrolling and and i don't know left right whatever swiping (laughs) swiping scrolling swiping um it, it becomes a pastime, mm-hmm. right? And and people do it together. Look at this one. Oh, go out with this one. Oh, just say yeah. yes to this one. You give it, it to your girlfriend. You give it to your friend yeah, to do it for you. A collective thing. So, to me, it's very depressing. Yeah. I don't know. It's. Um, I had periods when I deleted the apps. I yeah. tried yeah. to have those periods. Just as you face addiction, that's my strategy, right? To delete the, the apps, but. Eventually, you keep going back to you them. You go back because that's how people meet people these yes. days. Also, also, there's a lot less socializing mm-hmm. because of the, the the WhatsApp and all and the interactivity. There's a lot less social. Again, we go back to Seinfeld. They hang out all yeah. the time because yeah. if they weren't hanging out, they died out of they they'd be bored to death basically, yeah. right? So they hang out. They go to part. So today, I feel like. So yeah, it all uh, to me. It's 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 a bit sad. It's a bit sad. I, I feel myself sometimes envious. People uh, pe- of the and past. yet and yet a third of of marriages have begun on on dating apps. Right, a third, which is not you know, and it's growing. But then fifty percent get divorced. So yeah, but that that's the more depressing <laughs> statistic. <laughs> that's true, um, but there's positives and negatives to it yeah. the opportunities the opportunities to meet people i think you you have to do it in a very judicious way yeah um you know there's the Just, the religious and the ultra even now today in israel the religious the, not only the ultra orthodox also the just the religious they meet there's shiduch yes still yes um or you go in the Datilumi community here, you go out uh, with someone for two or three dates, and then you decide. You decide. And you get married, and you have make kids it immediately. Make it yeah, work. Yeah, and you make it work. Or you don't, but... but so yeah and, and sometimes you know those secular... marriages those marriages are, don't necessarily end up worse than you right. know dating uh, How come, hundreds though? of people because they they go into it with a different uh, mindset it's not i have to fall in love i have to no they they look for a, a good part a partnership yeah and they will build that partnership together and that love grows from the partnership not that you have to fall in love with somebody in order to settle down it's a very different uh, approach. different approach. Do you think Disney movies and in Hollywood <laughs> uh, basically effed up our brains? I think it's not just Disney movies. Look, 100 years ago, people got married not for love, for economic reasons. And 
over time, we've started um, uh, focusing on relationships, intimate relationships, as having to answer so many of our needs, right? That wasn't the case before. Yeah. Um, and and there were very clear kind of uh, uh, gender roles. You do this, I do that. I'm the provider. You take care of the kids. Blah blah. Now. Everything is is up for grabs, but people really want their partners to answer many, many needs. They want them to be interesting, intelligent, sexual, uh, good partners, good parents, good this, good that, and uh, good communicators. And and often they're disappointed because this person doesn't hit, you know, you can't check off all the got this got that got this yeah but um nobody has everything nobody's gonna supply everything for someone so i think there's also that that expectation from another person to be so much for us which right which it's not doesn't realistic. happen and in those arranged marriages they don't have those kinds of expectations right you know including that i don't have to be in love with this person in order to marry so the concept of happiness them. right yeah we constantly a, seek happiness different. and to them happiness is having a, a perk, good maybe, having a good uh, family a good partnership a good family a right good, and serve yeah. god and yeah and also I'm thinking our generation, nobody taught us how to, how to do those things, how to right. approach a woman, how to approach a man, how to hit on a girl. Uh, and here in Tel Aviv, there's a, a constant ga gag about uh, the seduction courses. I don't know if it got to New York City. Oh, NLP, well, yeah, Art of States. Seduction. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, many oh, they, guys... Is that a thing here it's now? It's a thing. It's a thing uh -huh. for so, some years already because uh -huh. and because many guys, mainly guys go to those... One of my students did her dissertation on that. Yeah. And what what did she find out? <laughs> oh, God, it was years ago. It's, it's uh, yeah, people ha having a, a laugh at it, but I can relate to those guys who, who, don't, who need a little they guidance. don't know what to do. How do you do this? How do you, yeah. But then girls get annoyed because they go to in Rothschild, right? And this random dudes approach them very... Aggressively. Too, very aggressively <laughs> and it becomes a uh, harassment a lot of yes <laughs> it's it clashes with the with the sensitivity uh today of harassment and and consent and all of right. that because a lot of what they're teaching is based on kind of basic evolutionary uh principles of how the male has to be, you know, an alpha male and kind of uh, aggressive uh, and confident. And, you know, and what happens is not every man feels that way. And so they're putting on some fake facade just to seduce the woman. But then what? Then what? Right. You have to live up to something, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of fakery. You, um, you know, I wrote this paper on catfishing, the whole idea of people um, making up identities or stealing someone else's identity in order to seduce basically somebody online. And online it's easy to do that because you don't know who you're talking to necessarily right. if it's not someone you, you've met. You don't know whether this person, how genuine this person is. Um, 
uh, or not. And people make up identities. And even into online dating, there are a lot. There's a lot of lying. Right. Uh, Putting an old photo. Yeah, old photos, changing. You know. Uh, Occupation, what you do, stuff like that. They say that women lie more about their uh, their weight and their age, and men lie more about their height and their income. <laughs> height is a sensitive issue. I can tell you, like, m- many girls wouldn't date me. I'm, I don't know, in inches. It's uh, five, six, I guess. And, yeah, it's a deal breaker. It can be a deal breaker. Uh, yeah. So it's a, it's a problem. It's a real problem. Yeah. So yeah, I can. I never lie about it though. Uh, no, I've <laughs> no, no. Eventually, you meet someone. Yes. Like that's the funny thing also about your paper. You talk about it. Like, what's the point of catfishing? Sooner or later, you're gonna. So people just stretch the time. They right? stretch the time and they enjoy the fantasy. What what I'm saying about the 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 catfishing and also the the uh, you know living with dolls is that, um, yes, there's enormous amount of fantasy involved in these, but there's a, a certain degree of fantasy. It's made me think of how much fantasy there is in any kind of relationship. We always project onto people what we want them to be. Right. I mean, how many people did you, did you date for a few months, and then after a few months you think, what was I? What, what did I think? Yeah. Or what was? Who was this person? Right. You thought it was one person, and you find out it was another person, because it, it takes time to get to know someone, uh, and and only with time and, and investment do you really get to know somebody. And also, people put on their best their best foot forward in the beginning of a relationship yeah. and little by little that that gets eroded and you start getting to know who right. the person really is only after a few months you find out that he's been having another relationship or, with a doll yeah, or for like example that. for example but or even the, you know on facebook or on uh what, what do people post on facebook only the the great things yeah. their trips they're great th- they don't tell you i'm really depressed I'm suicidal, today. Yeah. yeah yeah one time i had a friend who he's constantly like i want i'm gonna kill myself but it stands out because nobody writes posts like yeah. that only him you know but in in the article uh in the paper you also write that your identity was stolen twice can, can but you twice. don't elaborate you keep it vague in in, in the paper i was twice wondering if my identity was stolen that's why i'm very sensitive to this issue uh-huh you know by like what happened well somebody stole uh my purse my wallet and um and uh um, stole my identity and here in Israel once somebody broke into um, my hotel room sprayed me so I had to stay asleep and stole my really? stole my papers and after that and took on my identity and uh, after that for a while every time I came to Israel I was stopped and after years of this, I said, what is going on? Why are you stopping me every time? And then they told me that uh, my identity had been stolen. It's very disturbing. Yeah, yeah. And after that, they stopped. <laughs> I said, cut it out, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it can be very disturbing when, uh, when your identity is taken. Suddenly, uh, it's out there, people doing with it whatever they want. Right. Um, one thing I have to, to talk about with you, I, I kept the best for last, mm. uh, is uh, one of the areas you research is gender. Mm-hmm. 
and I, you know I've been following if you follow uh, conservative thinkers like uh, Ben Shapiro or Jordan Peterson the debate about that is very intense very divisive between between political parties um, and I don't know where I like I guess it's it it's very hard to perceive to, to the to the average Joe right the the, the, the concept of gender so do you see it as what's difficult which aspect is difficult the aspect that he for Are you example talking about transgender or just the idea of gender fluidity the idea of gender fluidity gender fluidity yeah the idea that i and the idea of of genders like they mm-hmm. for example it's very hard to perceive uh, or the new genders that they are coming up with like z them or all, all those pronouns the whole pronouns it's endless it's endless yeah and you know for you you can argue that like for example if i'm a muslim if i'm a Mor- i was born in in morocco in the in the sahara desert and tomorrow i'm i'm gonna come up and say i'm a rab- jewish rabbi right the fact that you feel yourself as a jewish rabbi doesn't you can think about yourself whatever you want but you cannot force me to recognize you as a jewish rabbi right mm-hmm. i have my set of laws and that's how I perceive a rabbi. So how is gender different, in your opinion, from that? <laughs> this is a very hot and, and uh, argued topic these days. Right. And it's also very political. You know, it has the political correctness. So um, I think that it is difficult for a lot. Look, when I was growing up and when I was training, there were two genders. <laughs> You were either male or female, and you were either gay or straight. Right. And gay was considered uh, pathological. Right, it was in the DSM. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And now there's this abundance of uh, possibilities of gender. Um, So, for example, on Facebook, I think you have 60 genders you can identify as 60. Um, In Tinder, I think there's 40. Um, so, So we've really completely uh, come to a different place when we're thinking about gender. And the main aspect of that is that there's something more, we're, we're considering it as more fluid, that it's not as, 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 as strict as you're male or you're female, that, that just like there's polymorphous perversity, that there's a, a, you know, a, a fluidity in how we define our gender. So what a lot of people are doing is thinking of gender as a social construct, not as a biological construct. I personally have a little difficulty with denying biology. I think we live in bodies and there is biology in our bodies. Right. That, uh, so I, 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 I don't, I'm not for erasing biology. I think we have to consider our biologies. But I do understand the, the social influence and the fantasy again we'll come back to fantasy influence of gender there's an illusory quality to gender um uh the um judith butler queer theorist called gender uh, uh, masquerade right or rupaul the the um drag queen said you're born naked and the rest is drag so that there's a certain um uh, artifice 
or illusory quality to gender because we're taught gender also. We get it from from our society, from our from social norms. This is this is what you know. One of the first questions that people are asked when they they have a baby is, what, a boy or a girl? Mm-hmm. What are you having? A boy or a girl? And you paint, you color, you paint the room accordingly. And, and right there, it's like that's the first question. These gender reveal parties. Mm-hmm. This is the big thing we're going to celebrate. So there's enormous amount of of um, expectation that we put into gender. Right. And how how you know how we're going to raise a child um, or not raise a child because of how we consider gender, but what we see today is basically that people are being very creative about their genders. They want to they want to have ownership over how they uh, are regarded or how they present or how they they want to uh, uh, be identified as. Right. So you even have people. Uh, who call themselves gender curious, right? Um, there's no end to gender the way we had before. You're male, you're female. Now you can just be curious about it. Right. It can be something gender questioning, right? I, I don't have to have a goal. It doesn't have to be, well, I'm, I'm non-binary, which also is kind of vague. Well, yeah. it's not this or that, but what is it, right? So there's a lot of questioning. There's a lot of ambiguity. Um, there's fluidity. There's a feeling that people can, you know, mix and match and create their own gender or 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 not. But is it science or is it no, philosophy? No, it's not science. It's not it's science. Neither. It's neither science nor philosophy. It's very individual. It's very individual. Because in the argument, the woke argument is that it, it like portrays it as as a form of science. Like because I think because I, we have a bit of a, a bit of uh, of both genders in us. We yes, have but, hormones from both genders. We have right. Right. Is that but why? They, no, but For like, like if if you come and say this person is a they. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they and he the science is if he define if they define themselves as a they then they 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 are a they right <laughs> well well that's not that's, science that's just uh, you go along with what someone wants to be wants to be identified with and you right. you respect that right but I'm forced because the thing is when someone is a uh, uh, gay or homosexual or lesbian there is science behind it right because sexual attraction can be can be portrayed in science can be portrayed in hormones and biology whereas here it's pure psychology right which makes it very vague so so i'm 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 thinking aloud here but but do you can you relate to people who cannot identify with those concepts yeah i can relate to anyone i have okay. i have yeah, that that's ability your profession. Yeah. no it's also my nature <laughs> okay. that i can empathize very easily uh, with a broad range of people. So I, I can empathize with people who, who uh, don't want to identify with either male or female or who, who are, you know, uh, born in a, a male body but feel themselves more identified with a female mm-hmm. and want to identify in that way. So I can, I can see that. I think there's, it's also complex, though, because as a psychologist, as a psychoanalyst, um, 
I think that just because somebody says, you know, now I'm this, and I've, and I've seen people who then regret that and say, well, you know what, that was a phase. Sometimes it's a phase, sometimes it's not. It's very complex, it's very individualized, and uh, at least in the people that I've worked with, there's, um, I like complexity, nuance, subtleties. I don't, I, to me, when you just say it's this and you can't argue, I get a little, well, let's, let's explore. Let's understand it. Let's explore it. Um, anybody who's a little too uh, adamant about there's only one way of seeing things, to me, is, is, uh, it, it puts me off a little because I'm a psychologist. I go deep. Yeah. I believe in an unconscious. I believe that our past and our, uh, many things influence us to become who we are. But I respect people, people's choices and people's decisions. And the main thing that, that, that concerns me is that are people comfortable with who they are? Are they comfortable with the decisions they make? Um, or is there something that, that uh, bothers them? Or does it come from trauma? Or does it come from, you know, is there a conflict there? Is there an impact? Do, do they feel stuck somewhere? Those are the things that concern me much more than um, is it a he or a she or a they or whatever. Right. Those things are less, less critical to me than, than, you know, how someone is is conducting themselves day to day how they feel about who they are how they are in relationships with others um, are they fulfilled are they getting what they want are they stuck in some way those are the things that concern me a label doesn't doesn't concern me so much do you have a patient in your career that really shook your life that really changed your life that really influenced you <laughs> in a very immense way I, I have a few i have a few i work with people i'm known also to work with people who are quite extreme you know quite extreme um so but i'm affected by uh by everyone i meet including including my patients um if i'm not affected by them then i'm not involved you know i have you have to in my line of work it's not a detached first of all i'm not a, a detached kind of person but you have to allow yourself to be affected like for example the man who lived with a doll i had never met someone who lived with a doll and loved a doll and so it completely uh blew my mind in the beginning I thought, my God, this is an objectification of a female taken to the nth degree. Um, but then I got to know him. And, and uh, when you get to know somebody um, as a human with the, with the history, everybody has a story. And he got to where he got for a reason because he was rejected and he was... Um, um, he 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 didn't trust and he was insecure and and so i had much more uh uh feeling for him and he opened my mind about this whole technology it started with him and then 
I went, uh, you know, I interviewed others. I went to the factory where they made those dolls. I interviewed the man who makes those dolls. I wanted to understand this new world of relationships. Mm -hmm. Now, the relationship with the doll is kind of maybe extreme, but I started seeing it in other ways, with the internet, with porn, with necrophilia, with other things. And I started seeing this larger picture. So he influenced me, one could say, it was the beginning of this opening up uh, of my interest. Right. And a lot of my interests come from working with, uh, with clients. When I read your paper, I thought to myself, wow, being a psychologist, since your craft is life itself, then it's an endless it's stream endless. and you can you, you like if you're if you're a, a, a well-renowned psychiatrist like yourself who gets the most interesting patients in new york you can write right. articles yeah. forever right i in can papers. write articles forever and also what i love about my profession um is that my work is different every single day mm -hmm. i never know what to expect Every single day. I'm not in the kind of work where every day I go, I do the same thing or I know exactly. Every day. Even patients I've been seeing for 20 years, they can come in, surprise me, talk about something I don't expect. And I love that. I love that. It keeps me interested. And it also, it's something, like you said, who affected me the most. I'm affected by my patients. You have to allow yourself to be affected. Now, sometimes that can be very draining right. in the kind of work that Aren't I do. Aren't you afraid to fall in love with a patient, though? <laughs> <laughs> I fall in love with, with patients. I, you know, I love my patients. Uh, not all of them, but yeah. uh, some of them are not that lovable. But uh, if, if uh, that's part of the problem. And then you see, you know, with the work, when you start feeling that love feeling, it's like, ah, they got better because <laughs> now they've, they've become more lovable. But um, am I afraid to fall? No, I, I keep boundaries. Uh, I let people affect me, but that's, you know, being a psychoanalyst, you, you keep in check what you feel. You always have to check, like, what am I feeling? Is this coming from me? Is this coming from them? Are they wanting me to feel this way? Or am I feeling something of theirs that they can't feel? Or is it something from my own background that resonates with what they're... So it's this constant work on oneself, not just with the patient right. this way. So it's, it's a heavy duty work. It's, uh, it's not for the, the weak. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. And I'm so happy you were able to enter Israel without the quarantines and the, <laughs> all that. And I hope you're enjoying Tel Aviv. I am. I love Tel Aviv. <laughs> I love Tel Aviv. Um, you have a website, danielknafo.com. Mm -hmm. um, you have books. We'll put links uh, on Amazon. The recent paper, is it... Is it available the, the catfishing paper yeah it just came out this week but is it f free for to read everywhere or how does it work or um i don't know if it's free but if somebody wants it they can, they can reach out me. to you okay yeah I'll and you're on social media at all i'm uh i am i'm not very active ah, okay <laughs> <laughs> i should be more but i'm so busy that i don't have much time right but i'm okay. i'm on twitter i'm on instagram okay i just uh i don't check them very often okay 
Fair enough. Thank you so much for coming. Thank Before you. we go, uh, we are sponsored by uh, Sheva. Check them out, israelnationalnews.com. Uh, great content in English about Israel. Also, the Australian Jewish News. Check them out at ajn.timesofisrael.com for the Australian angle of Jewish News. And guys, if you like what we do, uh, you can support the podcast. We have those mugs, Daniel. One is BDS Tears mug and one is Nice Jewish Boy <laughs> mug. So you can go to 2NGB.com slash merch and buy them. Uh, also, you can support us. Go to 2NGB.com slash donate and every sum helps. And that is it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, guys. Fun.